Good morning, church. We rest on Sabbath. And after a week like this, we need Sabbath rest all the more. And not just the Sabbath rest that comes from worship and through sitting around the table together and from the warmth of community and long naps and hikes, but from what is promised, the Sabbath where God wraps us in his arms for good. And until that day, when all things are restored, we hope, we pray, we love one another, but we take care of those who suffer through such painful loss. And we pray and look forward to, even now, the new life that God promises to spring out of evil. This morning our sermon is about love, the thing without which it would be impossible to feel such loss. In fact, our love shows up um, in our sadness because it's, uh, it's our love that makes us feel such loss. So this morning we're going to speak uh, talk about love and, and things specifically that, that hold us back from that. If you've ever heard the name Daryl Davis, you might know that he's a Grammy award-winning blues pianist who's played around the country with uh, rock pioneers like Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. If you've heard the name Daryl Davis, uh, you might know that he's carved out a rather unique ministry in the world, befriending and reaching out to members of the Ku Klux Klan and other hate groups. And if you're familiar with the name Daryl Davis, you probably know that at one point he befriended the man who was the national leader of the Klan, a man named Roger Kelly, also known as the Imperial Wizard. And astonishingly, over time, their relationship grew. Roger Kelly ended up giving up his worldview, giving up his beliefs that led him to the Klan, and eventually gave up his robe. And he gave it to his friend Daryl, who helped him get through that process. It's an amazing story. The first time I heard it was on the radio, and I was astonished by how it could possibly be real. It's remarkable, I mean truly remarkable. And yet the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't help but ask myself, why? And why is this so unusual? Why is this so shocking? Why am I so surprised this is possible? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we all be living and acting like Daryl Davis. I mean, shouldn't all Christians express that kind of love just as a matter of course? I mean, we follow a God who says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, right? do good things for those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. We follow a God who taught that and not only taught it, but lived it in his life who demonstrated it for us in living color, 
I mean, it's, it, love isn't a side issue in Christianity. It's central. It makes up the basis for our ethic and our whole orientation to the world. I think it's as though sometimes we relate to Jesus' uh, command to love our enemies like the workers in Jesus' parable from Matthew 20. Uh, you know, the one where uh, some of the workers work all day and some of them work part of the day and some of them work hardly at all, but at the end, everyone gets paid the same, right? And in the parable, uh, the people who had toiled away all day long are upset. They don't get uh, an extra bonus. They don't get a special star, a dinner in their honor, or some kind of recognition of a way they had gone above and beyond the call of duty. But the landowner just says to them, you guys, you didn't do anything extra. There wasn't anything magnificent in what you pulled off. What you did was basic obedience. You just did what you were supposed to do. Loving unconditionally, it's not something for like superhero Christians. It's not something for only the best of us. It's for all of us. So then the question is, is what keeps us from it? Why why are stories like Daryl Davis's so rare? What, what is in our lives that holds us back from living it so that we see it all the time? And of course, the answer to that question is as unique as we are all individuals. We have all kinds of things in our lives that hold us back. But this morning, I want to share with you three things that I think many of us hold in common with one another, three barriers to loving well. First, I think that for some of us, just the way that we conceptualize love right on the surface gets in the way. Uh, we have these underlying assumptions about what Jesus is getting, getting um, at when he tells us to love each other. You know, today is Valentine's Day, right? So it's, it's Valentine's Day for some of you. Today is Valentine's Day. Um, so it's Valentine's Day today, and it's a day where we celebrate, you know, a certain kind of style of love, you know, especially this romantic love that's shared between two people. Valentine's Day sort of love is about affection and warmth and fondness. I mean, this is what uh, Valentine's Day is about. And I think sometimes when we relate to Jesus' command to love, what goes through our mind is Valentine's Day sort of love, like the idea that Jesus is telling us, listen, you need to have great devotion and endearment with the people that are trying to kill you. You you need to have amazing affection for them. You need to be attached emotionally to them. That's what I'm telling you to do. I think for some of us, when we read his commands, that's what goes through our minds. And, And as a consequence, I think many of us just give up, like right on the surface. It just sounds unreasonable. We, we respond just with apathy, like, hmm, well, that's going to happen. I mean, how am I supposed to feel fondness and warmth when he just betrayed me, right? Like, how am I supposed to feel endearment for her when she's actively trying to manipulate me? How, how does this even work? It sounds crazy. Is that really, really realistic here? And so I think for some of us, we have these sort of unexpressed assumptions about what Jesus is getting at. And so we come to the text and our eyes glaze over and we throw up our hands and sort of move on to the next thing and act as though it's just for special people to figure it out. 
Karen Armstrong, a British author, wrote a book recently called Fields of Blood, and it's about the history of uh, religion and war. And she makes the case that Christianity's call to loving our enemies is something that actually holds back and um, reduces warfare rather than causes it. She talks about love in her book and about one of the key ways that love was understood and seen in the ancient Middle East. Uh, She talks about it that, that love was seen in one sense as a political concept. Kings or emperors or rulers were said to have love for one another, which meant that they looked out for each other like allies. They gave each other tangible blessing. They gave each other gifts. They looked out for one another. In, in times of war, they would protect each other. In times of peace, uh, they would trade with one another. Kings loved each other. And that didn't mean they necessarily liked each other. Uh, that didn't mean they were fond of each other or they really s- agreed with everything each other did. No, uh, love in that sense was a set uh, of tangible, concrete actions that collectively formed this posture They loved each other. Love was not, according to Karen Armstrong, love was not about affection so much as it was about action. Clarissa Worley, uh, an Adventist preacher that helped me a lot uh, uh, with uh, with her sermons through my college years, Uh, I heard a sermon once from her just after I graduated about love, and she defined love as unmerited favor unmerited favor. Love's not transparency. It's not giving access to my life or to my heart necessarily, and it's certainly not trust, which is something that has to be earned over time. Rather, she says, it's unmerited favor. It's freely given. It's never earned, and there's no strings attached. I think seeing love as unmerited favor is one of the ways that can help free us up to forgive people, for example, um, to bear the debts that they've created, to, to willingly pay for them ourselves and still not feel obliged to let them have access to hurt us more or repeatedly again. Love as unmerited favor and, and not trust for example, creates a way for us to repay insults and open criticism and slander, not in kind, but with kindness, with calmness. Because just because I love you doesn't mean you have access to my heart, right? And so I think truly, if, if we come to Jesus' uh, teachings with this expectation that he's asking us to have warm and fuzzy feelings from, uh, from, the, from the lady or, or, or about the lady that just gossiped about us all over town or for the business partner who took the money and ran or for the guy who just nailed us to the cross, it might seem a little bit unreasonable, right? And, and it might seem especially unreasonable if the expectation is that we're supposed to invite the guy that just stole stuff from us to come over and stay the night in the guest room, right? Like, it might not really fit. But if Jesus' invitation isn't so much about trust or affection or warmth or endearment, but more about action, well, it's still hard, I mean, it still requires for us to maybe give up some of our ego 
maybe to have some self-control, but I think it's a whole different category of doable. So, so that's the first one. How do we define love? How do we conceptualize it in our minds? The second one, I have a test for you. I have a test for you. Some of you might have to look behind you. Uh, I have a test for you coming up on the screen. And I'm going to show you a series of pictures and I want you to tell me, is this person, is the subject pictured easy to love, right? Easy to love or hard to love, all right? So you need a vote. You have only two options. There's no middle ground. Easy to love or hard to love. All right, here's the first one. Puppies. Easy to love, hard to love. Raise your hands. Easy to love, hard to love. All right, here's the next one. Grandparents. Easy to love, Hard to love. Not many hard, there's a few hands maybe out there. Easy to love, hard to love. All right, here's, um, here's the next one. Police officers, police officers. Easy to love, hard to, we're a little bit more mixed there. I saw, you know, there's a few. All right, here's another one. Con men, people that con our grandparents. All right, con men. Easy to love, all right, hard to love. Hard, there's a few more that time, all right. Uh, the next one, religious, oh, no, no, we're not there yet. We're at siblings. Siblings, easy to love. Hard to love. Yeah, you know, it's tough. All right, the next one, religious extremists. Easy to love. Hard to love. All right, here's the last one. This one's a tough one. Coworkers, coworkers. <laughs> easy. Easy to love and hard to love. I'm watching over here. It's hard to, all right. So, you know, it's, it's not that easy, is it? I mean, it's, it's not that easy to make a definitive judgment, even about ones that seem would be really easy. I mean, what does it mean to love a puppy? Does it mean you have to bring it home for the next 15 years? Is that what it means to love? Does it mean you have to donate money to a cause that takes care of puppies? You have to donate money to an organization that spays and neuters animals so we don't have so many puppies? Like, what does it mean to love puppies? It's not that easy to answer. And I, and I think sometimes loving is hard because even though we're totally motivated and willing to do whatever it is, it's, it's difficult to figure out exactly what that is supposed to look like in real life scenarios in real life situations. I want to get a little bit vulnerable with you this morning and talk about one way that shows up, that shows up in my life. Uh, our oldest boy, Finn, is three. Well, he's three and a half now. And he likes to as assert his authority whenever possible. And he likes to be in control. He likes to be in charge. And sometimes he likes to assert his authority when it's not possible right? Like, he, he likes to be in charge. And, and as a parent, and for Paige as well, like, our hope and goal is to love him unconditionally, absolutely, in every single situation. Just, it never goes away, that he knows he's loved, period, no matter what. And part of that love is that we want him to grow into being a mature member of the human race, right? We, and, and preferably, we'd like him to be a follower of Jesus. That's part of our love for him. Oh, but man, it's sometimes really hard to know what to do. You know, the, the other day, for example, he, 
We got him this new toy. He really wanted this new toy, and he was all excited, so I, so I bought it for him at the store, and we brought it home, and he played with it and played with it and played with it. Well, one day this week, he started to get a little bit rough with it. And by a little bit, I mean really rough, like entirely too rough, like it's going to break if you keep being this rough. And we actually told him that, like, so you got to be more careful with it, take care. We just kept doing it, kept doing it, and eventually it broke. The thing broke. And there's a, a little piece that's really important to its functioning, that disappeared. We have no idea where it went. When went in some hole or in the garage or in the yard or buried. I have no idea where this piece is, but the toy doesn't work without it, right? So it's broken and the thing's lost. And So Paige talks to the kid, right, and says, Finn, like, you know, what, what happened, you know? I, I, I'm really sorry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this toy away for, for a while because you didn't show respect to it, and we need to learn how to respect your stuff. And, I, like, how do you think your dad feels that you broke this thing and on and on, right? So, so Finn looks, looks at her, no reaction whatsoever, just deadpan. Eventually, he shrugs his shoulders. Good. Yeah, I don't like that toy. I don't, yeah, I, yeah. In fact, just get rid of it. Just, I, just throw it away. I, I don't like playing with it anymore. I don't even want it. Just get rid of it. I, just throw it away. Donate it. I don't really care. Just, yeah, I don't want it. Whatever. See ya. Like, what do you do with this thing? There's nothing that phases it. Like, how do you teach this child anything? Responsibility. How do you teach him to, to grow through this scenario, right? How, how do we discipline him in a way that makes sense? How do we make sure he commu- he's communicated with that we love him and yet he still learns? How, like, it's, it's crazy. We, we had no idea what to do. So even with a human being that we love innately, that is not hard to love at all, man, how that actually plays out in real life can be really confusing. And just for your curiosity, just for your curiosity, we ended up removing his access to all his toys for the rest of that day. And, and his attention was gotten somehow through that. And, and then as he started to get them back, he was the one to tell us, yeah, I need to take care of my toys. I, I need to be respectful of these things. He was, you know, instructing us about the things that he needed to do. And, and that, in fact, actually ended up being more difficult than if we would have just ignored it or let whatever happened happen. I mean, he had less independent ability to play without all his stuff. So he was with us, and we had to be more creative than we might have otherwise. And it was hard to do what we thought was the most loving. And there's a lot of different prophets and leaders in the Old Testament that routinely tell God's people, listen, God is very concerned about the weakest and the lowest and the most vulnerable in your societies. And especially the the three that are most commonly named are orphans, widows, and aliens, people that aren't uh, from your area, right? And they name them over and over and over and over again. The prophets are saying, "Look, listen, God cares about these people. You have to look out for them. Don't take advantage of these people. You could take advantage, but don't do it. Resist. Watch out for them. Welcome them into your communities. These people are really important to God. And yet, I'm just amazed as I read through Scripture how God's people just routinely blow off these instructions. They just act like they've never been told it 
before. And they do the exact opposite of what God wants. They take advantage of everyone. They get wealthy off the backs of the poor. Like, it's so bad, right? And sometimes as I'm reading through these stories, I can't help but react with anger. Like, what were you thinking? How is this so difficult to figure out? Don't take advantage of the poorest and weakest people in your culture. How is that so hard to figure out? I mean, we're, we're talking about orphans. Who can't look out for orphans? How is that a problem for you? And yet, I, I, I think that it was a problem for, for Israel for the same reason it's a problem for us. You know? I mean, I've had multiple conversations just in the last month with people about the situation in Walla Walla County with kids who don't have a home or parents and who need it. I mean, we have dozens of kids just in this valley who need a family. There are lots of kids who are ready to be adopted at any moment right here. I mean, the reason Israel struggled with following God's advice is because it's hard. It's the same reason that we struggle with it. Love is difficult. Love isn't easy. You know, when Jesus invites us to follow him, he says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. But, but if you seek to hold on to your life and protect everything, you'll end up losing your life, he says. You know, love is hard. It can be confusing. It's expensive. It's uncomfortable. And especially if we have the assumption going on underneath it that I need to be able to find a way to love where it doesn't mess up my life. And then it can be really confusing to figure it out because there aren't that many options. If I have this standard that I can't be inconvenienced or my family can't be put into danger, then loving becomes a whole more, a whole broader spectrum of difficult. Love implies risk. We might not get paid back or recognized. We might get taken advantage of. We might have to go through the process of experiencing searing pain because of loss. That's the risk of love. And yet, I think that there's something helpful and comforting in just acknowledging that. Love is never going to be the thing that fits perfectly into our lives. It's going to screw up what we have going on. And there's something beautiful about that. So the first one is how we conceptualize it, how we define it, right? And the second one is how we figure it out, how to do it. We get mixed up and confused and frozen. The third one is about trusting it. It's about trusting. I think sometimes uh, when it comes to love, we have a hard time trusting that it actually could work. It is actually a realistic solution for real human problems in our world. And the cost of love is high. The payoff is sometimes way down the road in the distance. We may not even see it. The possible problems are huge and they're easy to imagine. I mean, how is unmerited favor supposed to address uh, religious extremism? How's it supposed to fix entrenched racism 
or injustice? How, how do we thwart people who manipulate with unmerited favor? How does that even work? I mean, I think sometimes when we read like what Paul says in Romans, uh, return evil for good, I think we just imagine that he's being a little bit naive. He doesn't live in the world that I live in. Try again. You remember the, the guy, Daryl Davis, you know, the, the, the musician who befriended the Klan member? Um, he got criticized a lot, actually, for choosing the methodology uh, of love. And he, and he talks about uh, people who criticized him in, in his book. Uh, and these were people that, that, weren't, uh, that didn't disagree with his, with his worldview. Like they, thought, they agreed with him. They thought that racism had no uh, positive benefit on our planet. He thought that, this, that groups like the KKK should go out of existence. Like they were in agreement with him on what he was trying to accomplish, but they hated how he was doing it. So he got all kinds of complaints from people, all kinds of frustrated people that were seemingly on his side. Daryl, you're wasting your time, man. This is not going to work. This is not going to happen. Daryl, you're, you're putting your family in danger. Right? You're putting yourself in danger, man. You're going to get killed. Daryl, you're embarrassing us. Now, you're just one of them. You're no different than them. You're, you're on their side, aren't you, Daryl? Daryl, Daryl, quit it. Stop. Quit doing what you're doing. Get out of that. He faced resistance the whole entire way. And, and he says that, that he just kept on trucking. He, he, he believed he was on to something. He believed he was doing the right thing. And so he kept on going, kept on doing it. He, he thought the right thing was going to happen in the end. And, and you know what? When people criticize him today, very similar grounds as he continues his work of befriending people in these kinds of organizations, that's what he says. Nothing. He doesn't say anything at all. He just goes to his closet and pulls out his robes and hoods because he doesn't just have one. He's actually up to three now from national leaders. And, and the Klan in his state of Maryland has, has crumbled apart because of his work. He doesn't say anything to the critics. He just says, he just shows them the, the robes. And then he says he'll ask him a question. How many have you collected? How's your method working for you? Like, how, how is your judgment and gossip and condemnation, like, how is all that working? How are the bombs working? How, how, is the world becoming better? How is keeping safe, how is keeping safe and comfortable working? Is, is the world a better place because of that? How many robes have you collected? Love is, is hard. And I believe that the love that raised Jesus from the grave on that Sunday morning, that love always wins. And so, may you approach your world and your church, those you love, your family. May you approach them anew. May you be invigorated, empowered with a new spirit to love 
well, to give unmerited favor, to suffer with grace, to seek to understand and to empathize with other people. May you trust the way of Jesus. May you rest in the hands of God our Father. May you live to see that indeed love wins.